Welcome to UUCSW Reflections, a podcast by the Unitarian Universalist Congregational Society of Westboro, Massachusetts. We're glad you're here. Welcome to UUCSW Reflections. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we reflect on recent sermon themes and answer questions from the congregation. If you'd like to submit a question, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org and be sure to say which sermon your question is about if applicable. Don't worry, we won't share the names or identifying information about question askers on this podcast. In this episode, we'll be discussing the sermons Unlocking the Power of Covenant and Better Together, both of which can be found in this podcast feed. Hey, Laurel. Hi. <laughs> Welcome to fall. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Uh, good. It's been a very hectic couple of weeks. So, yeah. You know, as it is, I think, for lots of people in life right now. Yes, I'm definitely getting that sense, too. Um, yeah, what, like, what's going on with the church right now? So a couple, a couple big things. Um One of them is sort of as everyone is having to navigate COVID still, we are also obviously as people in the world still having to navigate COVID. Um, And so the board had decided in August that we would stay on on Zoom through September and October um, Mm -hmm. to see what was happening with Delta and with kids and schools and all that. Um, And so this month we had to make the call for the next two months Um, so that we can start planning for the holidays, um, which is obviously a really complicated choice to make. And and, um, there are reasons to do things in person and there are reasons um, to stay more careful and to do things on Zoom. Um, So our original commitment in last spring when we started thinking about how we would do in-person services, um, the basis for that was that we did not want anyone having to choose whether or not to come to church in person based on their sense of COVID risk. Um, and part of that is because with Zoom, everyone's on Zoom, and so everyone's having the same experience together. But once we mm-hmm. switch modalities and have this hybrid mode where it's in person, but then you can connect by Zoom, there's suddenly like not everyone's having the same experience together um, and we can't make the Zoom service then sort of akin to the experience of everyone being together in the way that it was Mm. before. And so we don't want to sort of create this hierarchy of, right, like you get you get a better access to church if you're vaccinated or you're healthy and you don't have little kids. Like it just starts to get into questionable ethical territory um, because there are also factors like we don't have like a like a ventilation air filtration system in the church there simply is not one Um, so things like that are really really key issues Um, Mm -hmm. and because that was our original commitment the choice was that we're going to stay on zoom for sunday morning services specifically through the end of the year, um, through the end of December. And that's because we don't want people who can't get vaccinated and kids and immunocompromised people. We don't want all of those people um, feeling like they've been left behind. 
Um, mm-hmm. Which is obviously, again, like very complicated. There are people who are really angry. There are people who are really thankful um, that we're making the choice this way. So it's it's been really hard. And so we're also then, because we know that doing services, Sunday services on Zoom does not meet everybody's needs. Um, and so we're trying to think of alternative ways that are sort of um, like extra options for people whose needs haven't been getting met by um, digitally connecting. So like on Sunday, we did coffee hour outdoors because we know that outdoors is like one of the safest places to gather. Um, mm-hmm. So that was really fun and nice to see people. Um, and if you haven't yet filled out the survey, we sent out a survey to the whole congregation about what factors um, what factors we think or what metrics we want to use to, de- to determine when we collectively think that everyone would be safe. So it's not when would you be comfortable, it's when would you, when do you think we can reasonably say everybody's safe? Um, because those are two very different questions, right? Like a lot of people right now feel totally fine and a lot of people feel, um, especially like parents of little kids, feel like things are very much not okay right now. So if you haven't filled out that survey, um, it only has two questions, so please fill it out. Um, we're gonna meet as a group. Um, we have some doctors, some public health people in the congregation and staff. Um, and so we're gonna meet to go over those metrics to determine like, what is the threshold at which we all agree that we can say that we're safe and we can go back into the building. Um, so. It's super complicated, um, and there's no easy answer. Um, so yeah. that's one of the things that's been going on, and I know is, um, I mean, it's it's really stressful from a staffing perspective. It's upsetting to people who really want to be in the building. It's just a very um, fraught issue. So if you haven't filled out that survey, um, the link is in the weekly update, so make sure to fill that out. Um, we also had our uh, board retreat for the year, year, which was really great, um, and came up with some, the board came up with some big guiding questions for thinking about, like, what are our priorities for the year, and how do we want to think about everything that we're doing? And so that was where the second service I co-led with the board, which was my why my sermon part was, like, four minutes long, um, mm-hmm. because first, the first actually, your mom, who's the board chair, introduced sort of the whole... Um, what we'd done on the retreat and the process for coming up with questions. Um, And then I talked about the first big guiding question. um, And then another board member talked about the second big guiding question for the year, um, which is how can people be involved in a way that's life-giving and not this sort of obligatory thing? Um, So I was asked to talk about how we can create boundary or how boundaries can foster a sense of belonging Um, and then the second sort of mini reflection was about the second question which is how people can be involved in ways that are life-giving so good big questions that you know don't have like we won't answer them at the next board meeting (laughs) yeah they're for all of us in everything we do to think about you know how are we being in community how can we contribute in ways that don't drain us um, yeah. So yeah, and then we also um, this coming Saturday have a memorial service for a congregant who passed away on Friday. Um, so I think you and I were going to talk a little bit about um, what it means to have a minister at the end of your life because a lot of people don't actually 
know sort of the details. Um, mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that now or should we? Yeah. Why What's don't your we plan? talk about that now and demystify it a little bit? Um, so a lot of people are afraid of ministers <laughs> because of this fear that um, of proselytizing, basically, of the idea that a minister will come in and tell you what to believe. Um, and that's especially a fear with UUs, but that is actually illegal in hospitals. Um, so hospitals have, have clergy people um, on staff as hospital chaplains, um, and they're sh- at, as far as I know, at all, hos- at all major hospitals at least, there is always a chaplain on call. Um, and so that's if, if someone's dying in the middle of the night and someone needs to be there, the nurses will page the chaplain. Um, you can also, if you are admitted to the hospital, normally on the intake, they'll ask your religious affiliation, um, which will help them know, like if you write down that you're Catholic and you're coming to your like end of life moments, that cues the chaplain staff um, to know that they probably will need to call the priest in to do last rites, which is a Catholic sacrament. And so having that information in your chart is helpful for those chaplains to be more supportive and to tailor your care. Um, And you can also request that your minister come into the hospital. And so like this is what happens with me. um, If someone in our congregation is in the hospital, I can get called in and I'm effectively treated like a chaplain. Um, So that means when I go into into a hospital, I right now there are limits to how many visitors you can have. Um, And so I count as staff. So I do not count as one of the visitors, which both um, is important for how many people can enter your room. Um, There are also caps on how many people can be in the room at the same time. So like in the moment that someone's dying, there is still a limit on how many people can be in the room because of COVID. Um, But a minister is allowed to be there, which can be a really helpful... um, sort of grounding presence is the hope because we're there to not be the people grieving, but to be supporting the people grieving. Um, So we can be really helpful and we might not actually do anything that feels religious, which I think is, is surprising to people. We certainly can do end of life rituals. We can do blessings. We can do prayers with family. Um, But more often our role is to be a kind presence who's there in this very scary moment. Um, And because we're treated as staff, it gives us different kind of sway with the medical staff. And it's helpful to have that person as a go-between because medical staff are used to talking to chaplains and chaplains are used to talking to medical staff. Um, So like even to have my job in a church um, I had to I had to spend three months working doing an intensive in a hospital unit, um, so it's not new to us, um, and it can be really helpful and comforting in those like very scary um, final moments to have someone there who um, who's just there to support you and is not um, who's more familiar with what's happening. Um, mm-hmm. So it actually has very little to do with what people might call religion, um, but can be really helpful. So, and especially if you're in my congregation and you're going into the hospital, please tell me. (laughs) Yeah. 
So, but but for anyone listening at any hospital that you go to in the United States, there will be chaplains on staff. You can request them. They cannot proselytize to you. So they cannot force any kind of belief on you. Um, so little known facts about hospitals. Yeah, I, I do remember you talking a little bit about your experience. Yeah, yeah, I was on the heart unit. Yeah, and I, I know that um, that... In, in that instance, you were there with people at the end of their lives who right. had a very wide range of right. belief systems. Right. And that was that's not surprising to chaplains, right? That's We know how to navigate that. Um, and we're specifically yeah. trained to navigate that. Um, so don't be scared. Well, that is a lot. Um, <laughs> I know. It was like the whole podcast just in my welcome to church announcements. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, there's just like that ongoing background stress of, of COVID to yeah. looming over every other tough conversation. Right, right. Everything's more complicated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and people are exhausted and people want it to be over. Um, and for some people... It does feel like it's over and for other people especially parents of young kids i mean like most of my my peers and certainly my siblings are parents of young kids and and that is a totally different world right now um yeah so i'm i'm really hopeful about um kids getting authorized for vaccines soon um so i do not think that we're gonna spend the whole year on zoom um but we also know that the sort of space between Thanksgiving and Christmas um, and people moving indoors will probably not see less COVID transmission, um, right. which is where we wanted to be careful. And, and to, to be clear with people and thinking about their plans for Christmas um, in terms of thinking about like making the choice between coming to church in person or seeing their grandkids, like we don't want anybody in that situation. Um, so we're planning different sort of outdoor things. We're going to try to do some outdoor um, singing for people who really miss singing. So we're trying to get creative um, without just trying to sort of force ourselves back into like before COVID expectations. So yeah. which is all complicated and hard and like a new adventure that we're actually really exhausted of at this point. So, yeah. So. Well, to move into the to some of the like yeah. themes of the sermon, how can covenant help us move through that really tough time when we don't necessarily agree? A lot of people are not going to agree and feel really right. strongly in different ways. Right, and I think that's why covenants are so powerful because they're like I said in this whole um, that whole first service, they're these promises to care for each other, and even if someone is out of covenant, that doesn't mean we give up our own promise to be caring um and it's this sense of mutuality so none of us are in it solely for our own sakes um which is like the opposite of how general society has been certainly not all of general society but as we've seen in all of this covid stuff and the like don't limit my freedom type of um narrative um covenant is the is the opposite of that it's that we're we're in this together and that's that's what guides us um and so we are going to care for everyone um 
even if we would have been okay doing something earlier. Um, right. So. I think, so I, um, it's interesting when I was listening to, like, the way we've talked before, too, about how different concepts of freedom are based on different assumptions about individualism and everything like that. Yeah. Um, There's a, like, a political theorist. She taught political science at the University of Chicago, I believe. Oh. Um, her name is Iris Marion Young, and she also did a lot of like, um, like gender studies, feminist stuff. Cool. Um, and for my grad program, I had to read a chapter of her book about justice and democracy. Um, and it was, it, a lot of it was, I mean, she didn't explicitly talk about like covenant and boundaries in those words, but I really liked the way that she talked about, um, like ideal coalition conditions for uh, deliberative democracy in which like huh. people actually talk to each other to try oh to my come goodness. to like agreements about things. Let's do um, that. Yes. So, I mean, <laughs> basically like the first part of the piece was she distinguished between like two models of democracy, which are aggregative versus deliberative. So basically the concept of aggregative democracy, you just add up everyone's preferences in isolation oh. and majority rules. I see. But then deliberative democracy is the version where you actually talk to each other. Um, well, that sounds and, nice. <laughs> yes. So obviously she was framing deliberative democracy as her yeah. um, But the principles that she that she laid out for like conditions for that to, for democ- deliberative democracy to produce just outcomes I think are really relevant and interesting. Yeah. Um, so basically she, it's like some of the principles are that everyone who's significantly affected by the problems and solutions are able to be heard. Um, yes. Without <laughs> being on the basis of equality and non-domination in a public oh where gosh. people are accountable, where people are accountable to one another and all have an equal opportunity to speak. Is she a you? I don't believe that she is a UU. <laughs> she, she, um, she actually passed away sadly in 2006. Um, oh. But I really, yeah, her, her writing is like, this just really reminded me of that because it, it really yeah. resonated with me. I actually, I... I took this class last year and I'm the TA for it this year. And so I'm oh, going cool. through all of these same texts again from like the other side of the teaching. And I'm like, Oh, I didn't get this when I was a student. Yeah. Like a year later, I'm rereading all this stuff and getting it. So um, I feel like if I read everything school. in grad school twice, I might remember it better, but Honestly, that's not how grad school works. <laughs> no. And in this case, I'm actually reading everything like twice and three times. Also, because in some cases, like some of my electives have overlapping texts. Oh, nice. I have a specific area of interest. Yeah. So like in some cases, I've read the same author like in undergrad and then last year in grad school and this year in grad school and like finally feel like I have my head wrapped around it. So I'm like, anyway. um, But another thing that Iris Marion Young talked about is like you don't necessarily need to have a shared definition of quote unquote justice to come to a just Mm -hmm. solution like basically her idea of a just solution is like what a group what the participants would all arrive at under ideal conditions of quote inclusion equality 
reasonableness and publicity. Publicity for her is a big part of accountability because it's, I mean, everyone telling the truth, basically. Yeah. Um, but she also has like, she's like, okay, but if I have to give a definition of justice, yeah. um, basically it's institutional conditions that allow for self-determination and self-development. Um, self-determination meaning you can determine your own action and the condition yeah. of your action without domination. And she also speculate or specifies that in order to create these these conditions, institutions must sometimes regulate and interfere with actions in order to restrict dominative power and promote cooperation. She's great. Yeah. Uh, and then self-development is is like an opportunity for people to learn and use satisfying and expansive skills in socially recognized settings, play and communicate with others and express their feelings and perspective in contexts where others can listen. So anyway, she's amazing and brilliant. Will you link this in the show notes? I'm definitely going to link to her in the show notes. I think her cool. like writings on democracy and justice are super relevant and interesting and super yeah. with UU, like ideas of covenant and boundaries and stuff. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah. Because well, her so, whole, like what you were describing about like the issue of, I'm going to get all the words wrong now, but like, no one can be like coerced and there isn't dominance to me that's like yeah there are boundaries yeah. right yeah like exactly. there are interpersonal boundaries around how people can treat each other and the boundaries help sort of um push back against coercive power so that there yeah. can be actual like connection and actual freedom um and actual safety for people to engage yes exactly People in power don't like that, though. No. <laughs> well, she also has a lot of really good writings on, like, um, politics of difference um, oh. and, like, uh, the dynamics of, like, like group dynamics and stuff and, like, considering oh. society in certain contexts of groups, not just individuals. So, yeah. anyway, do- yeah. Domination is the word she uses for, like, yeah. privileged, like, speaking over. Yeah. Um, but so, anyway, she's amazing. I just right. wanted to uh, fly her flag for a minute. Yeah, I love that. Um, and while we're doing that, can I yeah. also fly the flag of another incredible woman? This yeah. one definitely is a UU. Okay, amazing. Um, I mean, we also okay. like people who are not UUs. Yes, I know. <laughs> also this is great. a UU podcast, theoretically. <laughs> I mean, we exist in the world, but yes. Let's do, let's do a UU info. Whatever. Whatever okay. you're going to do. <laughs> So I just want to say a happy birthday to Betty, excuse me, happy birthday to <laughs> Betty Reed Soskin. Um, she turned 100 years old this year. Amazing. And she uh, like is a lifelong um, like activist, just a UU, but also by profession, she is a park ranger with the National Park Service. <gasps> oh my and she's God. still a park ranger. Oh. <gasps> How do yeah. I not know about her? <laughs> it's amazing. I'll link to I link to a uh, yeah. the New York Times did a profile of her um, oh this year, and there's also a link to a podcast um, with a, a conversation with her, like an interview with her cool. that I can post too. Yeah. Um, but just quickly in honor of her hundredth birthday, I would love to share a story from that podcast that please do is really inspiring to me personally. Um, so she is black and she lived when she was a young mother she lived in a mostly white area and um her child's 
school at one point was putting on a production. So they were putting on a play and it was um, like participants were like the principal and different uh, teachers and stuff like that. And it was a minstrel show, like literally (gasps) in blackface minstrel show. Yes. Oh my God. And so the day of she, she heard that it was happening and obviously was offended by this. That's probably an understatement. Yeah. Yes. Um, Went to meet with the principal and said like, you know, this is wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, And his response was, you know, we're appreciating your culture, not making fun of it. Oh, you know. my God. Yeah. And and her response was, Ugh. I'm, I'm, I'm understanding that the show is going to happen. You're going to continue doing it. I know it's tonight. You're not going to cancel it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit in the front row and you're going to watch me watch you do this. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. So that was her method of protest about that was presence. And she said the reason that she chose that tactic is because she believes at her core that they knew it was wrong. Like she thinks people are generally good. And despite all of this rationalization and cultural like garbage, she thinks she thinks at their centers, at their core, these people knew it was wrong. And they would be able to feel it more deeply and faster looking her in the face as they did it. Yeah. So her like faith in like, and I don't want to romanticize like, you know, you know, forgiving. It's not like she's forgiving. No, no, no. It's all okay. You know? Yes. Um, I just think the tactic of like, Hey, in your gut, you know this is wrong. You don't need me to, like, give you all of this, like, theoretical rationalization and, like, argument and debate about, like, why you should respect my existence. Like, the problem is, like, you have too much distance from the harm you're doing. So I'm just going to sit there. And make you you proximate to it. And you see how you feel in your gut at the end of the night. (laughs) Right. And I think that Yes, I think that's, first of all, that's subjecting yourself to a fair amount of violence to yeah. sit and watch something so deep, like, oh my depersonalizing and, and horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to romanticize that either. You know, a lot of people right. don't have the capacity to, to no, deal with course. that violence. Of course. Um, I just think that her hopefulness and, like, faithfulness about the way people's like guts can hold stuff that their brains aren't ready to hold yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just thought it was incredible, an incredible story. And I, um, yeah. And like the, the faith in, in everyone's capacity to actually see the humanity in each other. Yeah. Like even if they've been told not to implicitly or explicitly throughout their lives. Right. That was sort of her showing yeah. up in in the face of this dehumanizing like play to actually be human which is such a powerful confrontation yeah man so happy birthday happy birthday happy birthday happy birthday <laughs> betty reed soskin yeah and go betty i will i will link to her new york times profile and yeah. the um 
the interview with her in case people want to. These are going to be some good show notes. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> oh. Any other brilliant women that we want to oh discuss and link to? <laughs> I mean, we have next month. <laughs> we have. We will carry I mean, on. Hopefully, <laughs> we have our whole lives to celebrate brilliant women. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the power of just showing up. Like, yeah. I mean, that sort of feels very much like what I was saying about the like the the calling a chaplain in at hard moments like we're actually there to just show up which is which was mm-hmm. one of the really hard things for me to understand when I started training because there's this idea that you have to do something and yeah. you have to you have to change it um and it takes a lot of faith to just believe that showing up like there's something about our humanity that like you don't have to do anything about that um, you just have yeah. to show up, especially when it's hard. Um, so, yeah, go Betty. Happy birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what else should well, we talk about? This has been a last last time we were like wandering in a field. Like, what are we doing? I feel like we're on sort of like a fall like... roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's funny because I felt so frenetic, but this is 100% the shortest podcast we've, rec- we've recorded in, like, a year. We we're just so good. I know. We're focused. <laughs> we're laser focused, which so is, like, focused. obviously how I would always describe <laughs> us, so I don't know why we're surprised. Um, I mean, I did also, though, say that we had to stop at a specific time um, because our, our new, hopefully we're signing her contract this week, but our... Fingers crossed, new DRE is coming to tour the building with me. Obviously, with masks Ooh, on. Okay. So I did give Amanda a hard stop, everybody. So <laughs> I think we don't get too much credit for like self restraint because because there's just somebody else going to show up soon. That's true. DRE stands for Director of Religious Education, right? Good job. Yes, thank you. Okay. Yes. For decoding the alphabet soup because you no use problem. love alphabet soup. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. in our name. I know. I know. So many U's <laughs> everywhere. So many letters. So that's exciting. Yeah. I will keep my fingers crossed that all goes well with that. Yeah. So we're working on um, sort of speaking of this, this like reimagining the future and, and not getting stuck in our sense of like how things were before. Um a lot of congregations, especially in New England, there are like so many little UU congregations because historically, like this is where they started. So there are lots of them. Um, mm-hmm. But it means that we're all at this small enough size that we don't really have the critical mass of children or the critical mass of funding to hire for like full positions. Um, mm-hmm. And so what we've done is, or what we're working on is partnering up with two other local UU congregations that are like the same size um, and have sort of similar ways of being to share a program um, so that we have enough kids. So like youth group is actually fun for teenagers because it's, you know, they can meet, they can meet teenagers from other towns um, and we can do, I mean, it's sort of the like better together, right? We, we can do more together Mm -hmm. than we can on our own. Um, So we've been working on that, which is exciting and simultaneously, um, another local UU congregation 
has reached out to me because they're starting to put together um, like shared adult religious education stuff. And so that's that's just in the works now too. Um, but the idea is the same, right? That, that if we can gather ourselves together beyond just our little um, ind- individual congregations that we can we can do more than we can on our own. Um, so those are That's all good awesome. and exciting things. And the fact that we are all now adept at Zoom, right? Like we're not afraid of doing something online together with people from three mm-hmm. towns over. Um, and maybe we're more interested in driving three towns over because we haven't seen people mm-hmm. in two years. So <laughs> so yeah. all good things that, that we're sort of looking looking forward to. So. Yeah, but hopefully we'll get some kids programming up and running in November. That's the the goal and the hope. So to be continued. All right, we'll put good energy on that working out. Well, thank you. And also, why don't we just send a little good calming energy just out into the world (laughs) to everyone who's exhausted? Yeah, yeah, everyone. My sense is people are very exhausted and tempers are short because people are exhausted Mm -hmm. and there's Mm -hmm. so much grief around the world not being the way that we wanted by now Um, or confusion, like the ambiguity and the confusion of some people acting like everything's fine and other people (sighs) feeling like things are really still not fine. Um, And that is such a confusing and exhausting like emotional place to exist in and all of us are navigating that and have been for a year and a half um so yeah be gentle with yourselves i'm i'm trying to to be gentle with myself in all of the you know there are no easy answers right now which is why being guided by those you know core commitments and covenants to care for each other and having really clear boundaries about what is and is not okay for you um, those things are really important. So do you want to just take like three deep breaths to close out? Oh, look at you with the good ideas. Only if everyone who's listening does it too, right? Okay. Let's just do okay. it. Okay. Okay. Ready? In. <sighs> Again. Two. Okay, last one. You sound so much more like a ballerina than I do. <laughs> I took ballet when I was little. I did too. I... It really didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> just like you know, big some exhale. of us just take two, and I guess. <laughs> also, laughing is really good for stress. So, if you can it find is. a it's way to thing. giggle, highly recommend. It's a good choice. Yes, I do too. Yeah. All right. Well, good talking to you. Good talking to you. This was like our most efficient podcast ever. Yes. Cut, print. We're good. No (laughs) editing. No, I'm just kidding. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna edit it. (laughs) Amazing. Are we supposed to say anything now? (laughs) You'd think it would be a well-oiled machine. Goodbye, everyone. Yeah, I know. We have, like, we're back at it. How about, we need a closeout. I, I, How about, like, like, something kitschy that I'm just supposed to accidentally say every time. Yeah. <laughs> and then become really self-conscious about. Yes. Goodbye, friends. <laughs> Can break. you channel your inner Mr. Rogers? Um, 
But that is Mr. Rogers. I was literally just going to say my inner Mr. Rogers just wants to be wearing a cardigan and not talking. Amazing. <laughs> just wearing a Well, on that note, happy whatever right. day that it is that you're listening to this. <laughs> happy better Betty Reed's Hoskin centennial yes. year. Happy birthday. Have a good month. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk next time. Okay, bye. All right, bye. Thanks for listening. For more information about what's happening at UUCSW or for ways to get involved, visit us online at uucsw.org. All are welcome.